I always like to start off with a little bit of news. Um, I think can move the sound away. Um, and you might have missed some of this news due to all the coronavirus news. Um, in the past, though, we've studied and and read quite a bit of. I'm going to start with the scripture. Um, in fact, I'm going to start with Jeremiah 15 first. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord, God's host. May this word become etched in our hearts and mind, and may uh, I know it will, it's fulfilling, and it's the joy that we all seek uh, to have. But in, in the news, you know, we, I'm going to share some news with you, but first, we've studied in the past many, many verses that talk about the signs of the times. And uh, one is, I think of often, just right off, right off the bat, is uh, Luke 21, 11. And it mentions that in the last days there shall be earthquakes in different places and famines and pestilence. And I just, you know, looked closer at pestilence uh, as the definition, and it says an unusual, fatal, epidemic disease or an evil influence that's destructive. And the scriptures go on to say and see we see fearful sights and great signs that there shall be from heaven. Um, so in the news, as I mentioned earlier, some of the news that you might not have paid attention to or seen uh, due to the, all the coronavirus news, um, there was an article that I saw, and uh, it said, why has the Western United States been shaking so violently in the past several weeks since the beginning of the year? or and since the beginning of the year. On Tuesday in Idaho, not exactly known for earthquakes, uh, it was struck with a 6.5 magnitude quake not far from Boise, and it, felt, it was felt as far away as Calgary, uh, reaching the depths in the earth up to 10 miles. There was tremendous amount of shaking all over the region, and this is this article that I'm reading to you, to, to, to a point, point yelling, items hanging their ceilings were slightly swaying 10 minutes after the quake. Way over in, uh, even it was even felt way over in uh, uh, Helen, I think it's Helena, Helena Montana. And um, one described the shaking like a, a small ship uh, at sea during a storm. One restaurant owner in Stanley, Idaho, he reported that the water next to him I think he had a pond right next to his house, that it continued vibrating 10 minutes after the quake. All less than two weeks of the magnitude, of, of, or it says that all less than two weeks of a magnitude 5.7 quake, which was hit near Salt Lake City on March the 18th, frightening millions of those people already on the edge uh, from coronavirus pandemic. The quake showered bricks onto the sidewalks and released a chemical plume outside the city. It also dislodged a symbolic part of Salt Lake City's iconic uh, Mormon temple. It was a trumpet of an angel statue on top of, uh, of its highest point. The temple uh, is a spiritual focal point for 16 million members of the Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, the Mormons. But there's been, it says there's been um, hundreds of aftershocks, 658 of them uh, were reported to be exact, 
and all referred to as quakes, they refer to as quakes as well. Sometimes I think we discard those after, you know, the, the aftershocks, they call them. Uh, since then, there's been five 3.0 quakes. And by the way, um, anything over five is considered a strong quake. Um, but since that time, there's been five 3.0 quakes that took place. According to Caltech, there's been over 1,000 earthquakes in California and Nevada over the past seven days. You know, I, I talked to some of my friends, and some of them recall hearing a little bit about it. You don't hear a lot about it. Um, and a, a few of those were magnable um, five quakes, although the five quakes were uh, of the magnitude, you know, five. Um, and they were off the northern coast of California. And everyone understands something much larger is coming, uh, declaring these scientists, and they state the big one is way overdue. And the beginning, uh, the beginning of the end of man's day is happening as we see it, as we anticipate the Lord's day. And that's just one of many things. Uh, I would say every one of those things that we read in Scripture, in Scripture, are things that we're seeing. And uh, but anyway, today's sermon I titled "Look Up, Your Redemption Draws Near." It's a time to ponder, and I think of the word, when I say ponder, I always think of the word selah. And uh, when I looked into that, that, that word means to think about it. Um, but as we celebrate today being Palm Sunday, that falls on the Sunday before the Feast of First, Fruit, First Fruits and or Resurrection Sunday. John shows, John shows in a timeline uh, of, the, of the event which is uh, Jesus Christ triumphantly entering into Jerusalem. And this took place six days before the Passover. And um, if you will, turn your Bibles. And I know Ken got into this a bit. Um, turn your Bibles to John, uh, chapter 12. <clears throat> Give me a second to get there. In verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And um, some of the things we want to focus on is not just Palm Sunday, but some of these timelines and how specific they were. Um, <clears throat> we're going to come back here, so you might want to hold this spot. But let's flip over to Zechariah chapter 9. And in, in Zechariah chapter 9, it was foretold 520 years beforehand that this event would take place. And God spoke it, and he said it would, and it did. But in, chapter, in Zechariah chapter 9, we're going to look at verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. You know, Jesus was humbled himself. 
He was born in the lineage of, Jew, of a Jew. He is a Jew. And he decided, you know, that he would come through the Jew, the, the smallest and most hated group of all time, of all people, uh, since the beginning of the world. And of course, we know that that's due to a conflict for dominion and, and Satan began his attack just right off the bat. My country way of saying it. Um, but there's so many scriptures that were foretold that it would happen. So flip back up where we are there, John uh, chapter 12. And we'll, we're going to go through a number of verses here. But in verse 12, it says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed or blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it was written. So it happened. It was foretold uh, 520 years before that. Think about that, 520 years. I mean, we think 100 years is a long time. But it was foretold then, and here's where it was told that it happened. In verse 15, it says, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understand not his disciples at first. Well, they understood not his disciples at first. When, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. We're going to drop down a few verses. <clears throat> And uh, forgive me if I go too fast, but I'm probably trying to cram in more than I should. But um, you might want to just take notes and just write the verse down for a, a good study uh, afterwards. But verse 23 <clears throat> says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And we're going to skip down to verse 26. And we're going to read through verse 32. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Mm. That gets me. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered, and others said, An angel spake to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Drop on down to uh, verse 45. And he said, or, and he that saith, or seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light unto the world, that whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. And if any man 
hear my words and believe not, I will judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that receiveth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him, and the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And verse 49 says, For I have not spoken of myself, but, but, of, but the Father which hath sent me, and he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. And whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. It was fulfilled. So, flip over to, uh, put your Bibles over to Matthew 21, if you will. I love that part Jesus said I didn't come to uh, judge the world I came to save the world but know that there is a judgment day coming and he is the only one that qualifies to be the judge and he will be a just judge but he came to save the world But Matthew 21, we'll look at um, verse 4. It says, All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting on an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, and brought the ass and the colt, and put them uh, and put them their clothes on, uh, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to the, into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. There's so many scriptures. That right there. This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. That was predicted hundreds and hundreds of years. Or not predicted, it was foretold. Hundreds of years that that would be the answer. And here it is, fulfilled. When Jesus came. Um, so there's much to ponder and there's much to pay close attention attention to and um, as the time draws near this is a, this is a really good time uh, to consider as Jesus one of his central focus messages was to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's a great time to ponder these things to come. Um, now let's quickly talk about Passover. And we're going to talk about it now, even though it's next week. Um, the reason we're talking about it now is so we can ponder these things and ponder what happened and how Jesus fulfilled these things, specifically down to the actual hour and, uh, and, and within those days. So um, 
You know, we refer to it as Resurrection Sunday, and um, this week's a great time to ponder that timing of these first three of seven feasts of Israel. There's seven feasts of Israel, and um, and we're going to talk about the first three. And um, all of these are recorded in Leviticus 23, and that's a worthy study, by the way. I'm not going to go there just for the sake of time. But we should pay close attention to the importance of God's calendar and, uh, and to comprehend such. And also know that believers in Christ are not responsible to keep these seven feasts of Israel. Um, but of course, um, you know, it, it's, it's good to have a knowledge of them and greatly enhance, you know, that greatly enhance our faith. Although we do uh, have communion uh, in remembrance of him uh, and his love for us. But the Lord kept every one of these, these feasts without fail, even celebrating Passover on his last earthly night. The seventh feast, of, um, the seventh feast or the festival year begins with Passover. Uh, that's the first feast, and it's to be held uh, at the beginning of spring. And, and uh, Leviticus 23, 5 says, In the fourteenth day of the first month at evening uh, is the Lord's Passover. In Exodus 12, um, it tells the story of the national liberation of Israel. And when they marked the terrible, it was marked by that terrible night of the tenth plague where they were told to apply the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. Um, and, and that's where God assigned Passover on that, at that time. Um, and then soon thereafter, um, he instructed the Jews to, uh, you know, continue to keep Passover in remembrance of that. Um, but with all this, there hangs a, a fascinating concept. As I mentioned, God's calendar, I didn't mention this, but in focusing on and comprehending God's calendar, it's a lunar calendar. Uh, and it's based on the phases of the moon rather than the Earth's uh, revolutions around the sun. And each month starts out with a new moon, reaching a full moon in the midst of the 28-day cycle. So Passover always falls on a full moon, the first full moon of spring. And it's approximately 28, or, or this is in this approximately 28-day lunar cycle, and it's harmonious throughout nature. The tides of the sea rise and fall with the moon, uh, even the menstrual cycle seems to obey this particular time cycle. The moon makes a much better calendar than the sun, of course, since it changes every night. And, and of course, the sun doesn't change every day. We just see a whole sun and we see it at all. But, um, and I think, too, you know, God may not have preferred to use the sun because, uh, you know, there's a lot of sun worship, uh, specifically in uh, his practice you know, profusely in, in Egypt. Um, and uh, it was the leading form of paganism, or paganism, as I may say. Um, but man tended to worship the created object, as man has done more on other things that's beside the sun, uh, rather than to worship the Creator. But in Hebrew, reckoning, and we've talked about that before, uh, begins at sundown. Uh, or moonrise is better said. And proof of that is in Genesis 1-5, and it says, and I'm just going to read it for the sake of time, it says, and the evening and the day, or in the evening and the morning were the first day. So that's interesting to me that, you know, that's the beginning, the evening and the morning, and that, that makes the first day. 
Um, and that was told right here in Genesis 1-5. There's also some really cool features about it that, that the Lord's put, and it might be for the guy that can't read or has trouble uh, you know, understanding the lunar uh, calendar, but there's an almond tree that blossoms at the end of winter with white blossoms. And, uh, and it's in a bleak season, uh, and it's alluding, which is alluding to the scriptures. Um, and uh, as I said, if someone, you know, didn't understand, couldn't read or didn't understand how to comprehend that calendar, uh, this would enable him to never be able to admit Passover. And uh, all he needs to do is notice the blooming of that almond blossom. And the next full moon was the first feast. The meaning of Passover is, or it's got to be, surely the feast of salvation. On this day, because of the blood of the Lamb, and it says in Exodus 12, without blemish, a male. And the Hebrew nation was delivered from bondage. And, and, and it's clear that in both Testaments, the blood of the Lamb delivered them from safe, uh, uh, slavery, and uh, you know, which was the believing Jew from Egypt, uh, and the believing Christian, uh, it delivers from sin. So it's no mere coincidence that uh, our Lord himself was sacrificed on Passover. And keep this in mind, this was all told like 1400 and, I wrote it on my hand to remember, 1490 BC uh, was the year the Lord told them to, practice, to begin to practice Passover and, uh, and then the time of um, the Exodus there. Um, so it's interesting to me, this timing. But at meal, or at the meal time, he plainly said, this is, this is my blood of the New Testament shed for many for remission of sin, which was in Matthew 26. And um, John the Baptist clearly marked out the person of Jesus Christ as a blood sacrifice when he stated, behold, the Lamb of God, which uh, taketh away the sin of the world, which is in John 1.29. In Egypt, the Jew, he marked his house over the, over the doorpost with the blood of the Lamb. And the death angel uh, passed over them. Um, the Christian, of course, he marks his house, which is his body, which is referred to in scriptures as the house of the Spirit, with the blood of Christ the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. And, um, and death angel passes over uh, the Christian as well, avoiding death and hell and just simply to uh, accepting him as our Lord and Savior. And, and it's called the free gift of salvation. What, what kind of love is that? I mean, it's, it's, that's some love to ponder there. Um, so we know the remarkable fulfillment of Passover on the exact day it illustrates a principle that we see uh, in each of the feasts. Our Lord fulfilled each feast on its appropriate day and with an appropriate action. And, uh, and, and up to a point, we've not reached in his prophetic plan, uh, but we'll see all seven feasts have either been fulfilled uh, or are prophesied to be fulfilled. All these things were written um, that it was foretold it would take place. And four of them have taken place exactly as it was written, and the others are to come. Um, but Passover then, as I said before, it represents salvation. Um, the second feast, it, it mentions in the scriptures, 
uh, is the very next night, and it's unleavened bread, and it's on the 15th day of the same month. And we know that leaven in the Bible symbolizes sin and evil. And unleavened bread um, is eaten over a period of seven days, and it symbolizes a holy walk as with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, is the scripture that says, purge out the old leaven. And the unleavened bread in the New Testament is, of course, the body of our Lord. And he's described as the bread of life. And I love this. He was born in Bethlehem and in Hebrew. It's, that's, that means the house of bread. And, uh, and he fed the Israelites and he feeds the Christians uh, in, you know, in the world with the bread of life. And um, you guys have had communion and, and you know, the Jews uh, use the bread. And if I'm pronouncing this correctly, it's uh, uh, matzah. And I hope I said that correctly. But uh, it's used... Uh, in the week of unleavened bread, and you'll see the stripes that are on, on that bread. It's like a cracker, but there's stripes. And it's, you think of the scripture, by his stripes we are healed. And, uh, and his body was without sin. So Passover ceremony, ceremony um, of breaking and burying and then resurrecting a piece of this bread is always broken with two hands in the middle piece, uh, representing the Son of the Trinity, God the Father, or the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, is 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 buried and it obviously you know presents the gospel in the midst of a, a modern Jewish uh, Passover celebration. But God performed this. This is where I was going to focus on. God performed this exact ceremony with the burial of Jesus Christ. That many years later, precisely, or, or on that day, as a precious piece of unleavened bread. Um, it's interesting to me how he made all this happen. And so, more importantly, as I said, he performed it on that specific day. And we see Jesus was buried at the beginning, or we see he was buried at the beginning of the first, uh, or the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it, you think of that, when sunset happened at Passover, and at the evening is the beginning of that, and, uh, and, he, and then he was buried at that time. And um, so his body was entered at, in at sundown of Passover day, if that's better said. The scriptures makes reference to our kernel of wheat, which was indeed placed on, into the ground. And at the, and at the appropriate moment, it was to rise again, of course, uh, and in accordance with the scheduled feast, as we will see. Um, I think of one cannot permanently bury a Christian in the same manner. Um, and that's such a blessing that we have that, that the Lord's given us that ability. Simply by believing upon him. <clears throat> but men have speculated, I'm told, in some of my research, um, just how that Jesus died so quickly on the cross. And the crucifixion normally took about three days. And uh, that was the point of being crucified. Um, the victim died you know, by inch by inch as people passed by and, and looked at the victim on the cross, you know, it was morning and night, morning and night, morning and night for at least three days. But uh, we see that uh, in the scriptures, the centurion, he wasn't ready to believe that Jesus died um, in just six hours. Yet the Lord died in time to be buried at sundown that day. He was placed on the cross at 9 a.m., which was the third hour, and he was taken down at 3 p.m., and there was 
Uh, you know, and that made him just enough time to wrap his body and bury it at sundown. So the answer to why he died in six hours is that's all the time he had to spare, and uh, and he can make it. He can make it happen. If Jesus wanted the Messiah and is not the Son of God. Uh, could somebody that many years later be predicted that these things would happen and he would do it exactly on the hour and day? I don't know what the mathematic probability that would be, but um, be interesting. But um, so our Lord, He never omits a face, and and uh, He said pointedly enough that no one could take His life from Him. I lay it down, and I take it up again. And that's in John ten seventeen eighteen. So there's your answer. He lays it down and he takes it up again. And he did it within that time. The third feast we're going to talk about is the first fruits. And it's held on Sunday. Uh, and it's held on the Sunday following unleavened bread. So if you remember, I said earlier on the bread, you were supposed to um, you know, practice that for seven days. But it makes mention in Leviticus uh, 23, 10, 11, it says, on the morrow after the Sabbath, which is Sunday, that's when that's supposed to take place. Well, this particular year, it took place the very next day of unleavened bread. And God wanted a special feast, you know, to acknowledge uh, the fertility of the fine land he gave to the Israelites, is, is uh, what I've noted. And uh, they were to bring their early crops in, their first fruit. And since the feast of unleavened bread was seven days long, one of those days would be a Sunday. And that Sunday would be the first fruit each year. So we've we've come to call this first fruit or this feast Easter. Um, and it's interesting how Satan always comes along, you know, with a with a counterfeit. And um, and I love love Resurrection Sunday is what it should be called. Um, but Easter was named after the Babylon uh, Babylonian goddess Istar. Uh, the pagan goddess of fertility. You know, we think of the rabbit, the egg, new costumes. and um, But the celebration was to be over God's replanting of the earth in spring. And you think of death, burial, and resurrection even lines up with the seasons, doesn't it? Um, but um, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord's first fruit on which it was, in, you know, the fact that it did incur, or it, it happened, but even more so, the resurrection of the entire church. We shall all be resurrected and go to heaven, just as the Lord did. So that's, that's good news to me. But I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians 15, 23. It says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order Christ, the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So Paul makes it clear the point of the feast. The resurrection of the Lord himself, is, it, it, it's obviously happy news, uh, and it's worthy of a celebration, but we're, we shouldn't be so surprised about it. I mean, after all, the Lord could raise people from the dead. Uh, he himself walked on water, uh, and he's God's son. So, another real miracle is that his precious shed blood, that's the miracle. And by believing upon him, each of us, ordinary and mortal sinners, 
uh, will experience this resurrection. Jesus, of course, celebrated the Sunday of the week of his crucifixion by raising from the dead. And it was not some, it was not some other day he chose, but he chose the very day of first fruits. And he even presented his proper first fruits offering to the Father, which, which was him, the first fruit. But there was also some graves that opened uh, and that were resurrected uh, at that time. And, uh, and they were seen after his resurrection in Jerusalem. And if you want to look at that, it's Matthew uh, 27, 53, uh, where that's noted. But the Lord gratefully showed the Father the early crops of what will be a magnificent uh, harvest later on. The first fruits was the last of the feast that the Lord was seen personally fulfilling on earth. Yet, you know, there's a remaining four or uh, four out of seven um, feast, and that uh, uh, you know, four has been filled. But those are Pentecost, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Like I said, it's a time to ponder before we, as we head into uh, Resurrection Sunday. And it's really a time to ponder as we see all these scriptures that are talking about the last days. So it's not, it wasn't a mere coincidence that our Lord was sacrificed on Passover. But it's amazing he made all that fit precisely on the time and the day that it, that it would be. So he, he met that uh, he met Passover and, and, uh, and, and it, it was said and it happened and it was witnessed. And if you ever, you know, I know, I think some people would question that. Well, that's been so long ago, you know, but there was a great historian, uh, Josephus. I think he was a secular historian and uh, he even noted the days of Jesus Christ. So there's all kind of evidence, but uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but it's something else we should ponder is the Word of God is the revelation of Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end. And it's from the beginning to let there be light, which is in Genesis 1-3, and that's referring to Jesus, because you see God created the heavens and the earth in verse verse 1, and you see the Spirit moved across the face of the deep in verse 2, and you see in verse 3, which represents the Holy Spirit, and in verse 3, you see that there be light. You see Jesus from the beginning, uh, and you see him in the end. Uh, and we're in Revelation 22, 20. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So we see this throughout the scriptures, but I'm going to quickly touch on all these things. There's so much more, and I'm just going to blow through these because there's no way I can cover them all, but hundreds of thousands of years, you know, before uh, he was born in Bethlehem, it was spoken about many prophecies, and it's spoken about his coming. It was spoken through men like Moses, David, and, and uh, Isaiah, and Micah, um, in order for... Um, in order for him to be the true Messiah, all this had to be fulfilled. Uh, every prophecy, that is. And uh, every word was spoken and written and told. But here's where you might want to just jot some verses down. This is your own study because it's, it's quite a bit. And I won't even scratch the surface. Um, but he was born in a virgin. It was foretold in Isaiah 7, 14. And he was. It happened in Matthew 1, 18. 
He was born in Bethlehem in Micah 5, 2, and he, and he was. It was foretold that he would be, and he was in Matthew uh, 2, 1 through 6. He would be taken into Egypt in Hosea 11, and he was in Matthew 2. He would heal the sick and make people whole in Isaiah 53, and he did in Matthew 8. He would be crucified, it was foretold in Psalms 22, 14 and 17, and he was in Matthew 27. He would die for our sins, Isaiah 53, and he did in John 1, 29 and John 11. <clears throat> he would be raised from the dead in Psalm 16, and he was in Matthew 28. He said that he would be of the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49, and he was in Hebrew 7. It says that he would be a prophet like Moses in Deuteronomy 18, and he was in John 7. He said he would be the king of Israel in, in Zechariah 9, and we spoke of this already, and he was in, in John 12. He said he'd be rejected in, in Isaiah 53, and he was in John 1. He said he'd be beaten in Micah 5. One and he was in Mark 15. He said he would be silent in Isaiah 53 and he was in Matthew 27. And he would be betrayed in uh, Psalms 41 and he was uh, in Mark 14. He said he'd be tried and condemned in Isaiah 53 and he was in Matthew 27. We said, said he would be crucified already and talked about that in, in Psalms 22 and he would be, or he was in John 19. Said his garments would be divided in uh, Psalms 22, and they were in John 19. Said he'd be given vinegar and God in Psalms 69, and, he, and it happened in John 19. And said his bones wouldn't be broken in Exodus 12, and, 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 and they were not in John 19. They weren't broken. And he said he's our sacrifice in Isaiah 53, <clears throat> and, it, and it confirms that in 1 Peter 2. And he'd be raised from the dead um, in Psalm 16, and he was in Luke 24. That's just a few. There's so many. And when you look at the years, all that happened, um, it's mind-boggling. I didn't even scratch the surface. But in celebration of his birth, and his life, and his death, and his resurrection and the anticipation of all that we have to look forward to when he returns. We need to ponder that this week and any day and week because the time is near and we know that he's coming soon and the signs of the times are in our face. And you might, there might be someone listening today that says, you know what? I don't believe this. I don't believe in God. I'm agnostic. I'm atheist. And you know, it's come to my attention and at times I would just say, I don't understand that. Uh, let me tell you more about it, but I'd love to share with them. I think it's Romans 1.20. It says, for the heavens declare the glory of God, so much so that man will be without excuse. So you can really say they do believe in God. They just rejected God. And um, some would say, I don't, all this that you spoke of, in this book, I don't believe in this book being the Word and the Word of God. Uh, and um, <clears throat> it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not because it says, the Lord says, every knee will bow and will be speechless and will tremble 
Um, so whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. It's, it's told, but even if you don't believe it, it's going to happen. And so it's a day and time to know that our Redeemer is near and, and to focus on repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.